Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. The following podcast is designed to entertain and inform. The views and opinions expressed by the guests participating in this podcast are solely their own based on their own experiences and do not represent the views and opinions of the hosts, Erios, Tradecraft Media, and or any distributor of this podcast. I played Cinderella. Uh-huh. There was one day where I was talking to a Make-A-Wish kid and I was leaned over and somebody came up behind me and grabbed my butt like really hard and it was in front of all these kids and people and I was so mad right away I just I grabbed my their arm from behind my back and I turned around which kind of twisted their arm and I didn't let him go I told him how wrong that was and I brought him to security and had him taken care of because by taking care of you mean killed <laughs> Welcome to Keys to the Kingdom, a candid look behind the curtain of the world's greatest theme parks from the people who have all the best stories, the characters. Hello, my name is Amanda Lund. And my name is Matt Gorley, and we are both recovering theme park employees. I played a theme park princess from 2001 to 2008 at Disneyland Resort, and Matt was a talking trash can. Among other things. Right. Nothing to be ashamed of. A little bit to be ashamed of. Full disclosure, Matt and I are married, and we met working at Universal Studios Hollywood, the entertainment capital of LA. It's true. We both worked at Disney at the same time, but we never met. And you think of all the places to have a happily ever after fairy tale ending. I think one of the reasons why we connected was this shared theme park history of ours. And shared theme park trauma. I look at my tenure at the theme parks as a sort of tour of duty in Vietnam. And I look at mine as the best years of my life. (laughs) (laughs) We all know the joys of theme parks, but there are some pretty big downsides. Right. Like, what's it really like to work at these places? We're going to take a look at it all as objectively as possible. And that's why some of the people we're going to talk to will be going on background. All of the subjects will be former or current employees, some of them on the record, some of them with their voices disguised, some of them with code names. They could lose work if they tell us who they are, so we're keeping them undercover to protect their identities and the lives of their families. Because working as a theme park princess is a serious job. That's why we're treating this with complete journalistic integrity. Not me. I already have my mind made up, (laughs) and I'm not changing it no matter what I learn. Okay, so I guess we're Woodward and Hannity? 
for our first episode, which is all about princesses, I think you should take the reins. You're the one with all the connections and friends in high castles. So it's been 13 years since I've donned a petticoat and a shell bra at times. And I have to say at the time when I was doing this job, it felt this is embarrassing, but important. Important to you or important to the world? It felt globally important. (laughs) (laughs) But actually, I just loved it. And it was really fun wearing the ball gun. And people honestly treated you like a celebrity. And it was incredible. But of course, there's a dark side. To shine a light on some of that darkness, we're going to introduce you to one of the OG princesses. Now, we can name the princess, but the performer we spoke to chose to use a code name. She's also calling from, let's say it's an undisclosed location. That's because being a theme park princess can have life or death stakes. This is episode one of Keys to the Kingdom, Operation Petticoat. Princess, tell us what you'd like to be called. Oh gosh, let's go with Ruby Rose. And please tell us who you played. Snow White at Disneyland. Ruby Rose, tell us your story. The scary story is real life scary. So Snow White being like the oldest, I feel like casting didn't care too much about what we looked like. Everybody was sort of across the board a little bit different. And there was an older gentleman who used to come into the park every Sunday. Instead of taking him to care, they just dropped him off at a theme park like you do. And he would come in with a stack about two and a half inches thick of photos of memorabilia in his home of Snow White. And he would come up to me and he would try to kiss me on the mouth. And he would tell me every time he saw me, he's like, I know you're the real one because your eyes are brown. Because in the film, her eyes are brown, but because it was, you know, the very first animated film, like they changed color twice. So there was a multitude of eye colors. So he was like, you're the real deal. You're the real one. You are straight off the screen. Like you are legitimate. No sense of realism at all. He was completely enveloped in the, in the magic, right? Which is what you want for, for everybody. But you, you know, adults kind of generally have a sense of reality. So he'd always get kind of uncomfortably close. I was alone. I was 16. And this creepy old man keeps coming up and like is not quite all there. So I had to take two weekends off for some sort of something. Right. And somebody took my shifts and I know she had blue eyes. And the following week I came back and he was real mad. He was like, I'm going to kill all these girls with the blue eyes. They're not the real thing. You're the real thing. And he kept trying to like advance towards me to like kiss me. And I was, you know, you, you stay in character and try to like maintain the situation because, you know, there's children around and you want everything to be wonderful for them. But he was just so, so intent, so sure that this was real. And I remember the mother with her daughter who was like so excited, right? Standing right behind him. And she looked at me and she could tell that I was just not okay. And she was like, do you need to go? Snow White, do you need to leave? And I was like, I think I, I think I do. (laughs) And she goes, that's great. You should go. But he kept coming back to me that day. He would go and find me in every location that I was at. And the same thing, I'm going to kill those blue eyed girls. They're going to die. Like it was so, you know, I'm going to feed them apples and I'm going to do that. Like it was terrifying, right? Because those are people that are your friends. Yeah. Eventually security came to find him and they took him out of the park. And I want to say that his annual pass was like revoked or something like that. Did you ever see him again? No, I never saw him again after that. Admittedly, most of the guest interactions are not like that. It's actually a fun job. 
But you do meet people from all walks of life and they try to prepare you for that during princess training. Princess training. Yes. It's very rigorous. Okay. Just take us back to the beginning with this. How and why did you even get started? I was recruited. No. What? Really? <laughs> no. Oh. <laughs> no. I grew up in Long Beach, as you know, which is 20 minutes from Anaheim. So working at Disney was just like the thing that you did when you got a job. Right. At my audition, there were hundreds of people, some who had a real chance of getting the job and a lot of people who were just super fans that wanted to peek behind the curtain, oh. much like some of you listeners. You spoke with another source who wished to remain very anonymous about how the princess audition process goes down. We're going to call her Deep Skirt. She's one of the most experienced princesses in the history of Disneyland. And for that reason, her voice is going to be disguised to protect her identity. Deep Skirt, tell us who you played and where. I played Ariel, Aurora, Cinderella, Snow White, Belle. And in parades, I did a few other characters. And I worked all over the world from Anaheim to Hong Kong to Tokyo to Paris. So I really got to experience theme parks across cultures, languages, with different challenges because of that. So I have a lot of memories, great ones and crazy ones. What do you remember about your audition process? The audition was really overwhelming to me since I was still just a senior graduating high school. I'd never really been to an audition before and there were hundreds of girls and all of them had headshots and were actresses and I, as I went in I was like thinking I, I shouldn't be here. I almost left because I was so nervous. The first time they bring you in and they put you in rows maybe there's 10 rows of 10 or something and they just go one by one they stop in front of you maybe like six inches from your face and just say hi how are you if they say that you know a lot of people they just are walking by looking at smiles and after that 90 percent of the people auditioning are cut and it's just based off what your face looks like I know girls who have auditioned dozens of time and never made it past that first cut. I've even heard of one girl who got plastic surgery to try to look more like a Disney princess. And then after that cut and the dance cut, they put you in wigs. You get wigged. And it's called wigged, yes. The next day you go back and that's the first time when you speak at all is not until the second full day of auditioning. Wait, I have a question. They cut 90% of the people based on how they look. Wouldn't they want to hear their voice first? Because what if they're like, yeah, that's our princess. And that princess is like, hi, my name is Belle and my favorite color is paint. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you're called face characters for a reason. Not voice characters. Yeah. Yeah. So on the second day, you do some like really rudimentary improv. I remember there was a grown man, maybe in his 40s, and he would come up to you and play act like he was a child and be like, hi, Cinderella, can I take a picture with you? And you had to go back and forth with this grown man acting like a little kid. <laughs> do you remember what you said that got you the job? Oh, I talked about living under the sea and having a friend that was a whale. <laughs> I guess it worked. Okay, I'm actually not surprised to hear how weird this was because when I worked there, I was backstage. Quick interjection. When you hear that tone, it means we'll be defining some theme park jargon for you. Backstage means simply not in the theme park proper where guests can go. It's behind the walls where all the employees are. I think you mean cast members. 
The ridiculous term Disney uses for all employees, regardless of whether they're performers or not. Okay, back to my story. I was backstage. There was a princess audition going on. So like you guys said, there seemed to be hundreds of girls there. They were let out and released. And then they took the survivors, the remaining (laughs) people. (laughs) The reason I say survivors is going to make sense because they took them to the wigging or whatever you called it. They were fitted for wigs, and I only know this because that is in a separate building from where the costumes are. And they were taking them with their wigs on, but without their costumes. And they were wearing just those weird underbloomers that princesses yeah, wear? Yeah, we would wear a tan leotard, tights, and like white prairie bloomers with yeah. little ruffles and little character heels. Right. So I saw that. Three princesses being escorted from one building to the next, except because the monorail goes over and you can see backstage they couldn't risk these cast members being seen in that state of undress by the guests so they put black bags over their head like a cia rendition into torture or something and escorted three of these princesses with black hoods over their heads from one building to the next it was insane i could have been one of those princesses that's why we never met you were being held hostage That's an unsettling visual. So after you get hired in, you have a couple weeks of princess training, and then they just release you into the park. And it really is baptism by fire. And 95% of the time, it's adorable guest interactions with the sweetest little kids who are so excited to meet you. And then the other 5% of the time, it's a total shit show. Now, you're not kidding. Let's go back to Deep Skirt to tell us a little bit about that. This was terrible, but I was performing and I walked out on set. I was Mary Poppins, so I had this white, white dress and an umbrella. And I'm walking through Fantasyland and one of the other characters looks at me all of a sudden and goes, Oh my gosh, you have to go. You have to go. And I was like, what? And they were like, go back inside. And I turned around and I went back inside and a bird had pooped all over my dress. And I'm telling you, it was like an eagle. It was on the hat, it was on the blouse, on the skirt, it was everywhere. I remember you have a story that I always thought was funny. It's about the duckling. Oh my God, yeah. So I was playing Cinderella. It was just like a beautiful summer day, like peak hours, so many people. I had a line wrapping all around the moat of the castle. And there was a family of baby ducklings. And then... (laughs) This is so sad. There was a hawk (laughs) apparently circling overhead that I didn't notice. And in front of the whole line, he came down and grabbed one of the ducklings. And it was so sad and picked him up and flew off. And I just remember all of the kids just sort of screaming. Yeah. And I'm sure that I had didn't make it any better because I have no poker face. Even when I'm dressed as Cinderella, I think I like screamed probably at the top of my lungs. (laughs) And you've got to be able to just handle things like that and keep going. Typically when you're doing a set. A set means the block of time spent interacting with the guests in the park by an atmosphere character. An atmosphere character is any performer interacting with guests. But not to be confused with face characters. Any character not wearing a mask or fuzzy head. So anyway, sets are typically 45 minutes long with a 15-minute break. And when you're doing a set, you're working with a character host. A non-character costumed employee who spends the set with the character and helps facilitate guest interactions and crowd control. 
but you don't always have a character host. Sometimes you're alone out there and you as the character have to facilitate the crowd while trying to maintain your princess-like demeanor. And it can get a little overwhelming, but there is a tool to help you deal with moments like these. Do you remember there was something called a people break? Yes. I don't know if this was official or unofficial. It's official. It's official. Basically, this is a rule that protects you from snapping because there are times when people are grabbing you and like relentless and it's 100 degrees. And I think they don't want to see like Cinderella bitch slapping a park guest. So you have an option to take a people break, which means you can dip away from your line, go backstage or like duck behind a tree or a bush and take five minutes. Because at the end of the day, you're still a human being in here. And sometimes people do things that are inappropriate. guests or a father might touch you inappropriately or make you need to take an emotional break. Oh, yeah. Especially when you're Ariel and you're in the fin and the seashell bra. I one time had a dad ask me in front of his entire family if I would come live in his bathtub. Did you? (laughs) Oh, and by the way, everyone wants to get their hands on those seashells. This actually sounds like a nightmare. It's not that bad. It's usually just the little kids and they want to touch them. (laughs) (laughs) But the thing about being Ariel when you're working in the grotto, which is when Ariel's in her fin in the seashell, you can't actually take a people break because you're stuck and you can't walk. You would have to sort of flop and crawl, which you're obviously not going to do. And in order for the seashell to take you from on stage to backstage, it's a three person situation. So you have a button that you press simultaneously backstage. A character host has to press another button. And then a third person, another character host, has to press an onstage button. And only when three buttons are pressed simultaneously will your shell start spinning to take you backstage. This is insane because my understanding from movies is to launch a full-on nuclear assault, you only need two people with buttons. (laughs) And the craziest part is you press the button and you go, bye-bye, everyone. I've got to go, you know, make a call on my shell phone. (laughs) cute laughter from the crowd Mm. and then you wait like 10 seconds and then the shell re-emerges with a new aerial (laughs) but deep skirt do you remember the technique we were taught in princess training when people got handsy yes you put their arm up and you grab their arm and hold it like or their shoulder so so it keeps their hand from being on you. Yeah, you say, may I pose you like a prince? This is how a prince stands. And it's basically because they'll come up to you and they will put their hands right around your waist and squeeze you into them. So you say, let me pose you like a prince, which is code for get your dirty hands off me. Your children are right here. <laughs> yes. And I think it also works for like sweaty armpits. Yeah. Or a kid who's covered in chocolate ice cream who's coming up to hug you, you know? Yes. And you can't have that stuff rubbing off on you, you know, and of it. So I remember one kid came up and as he was walking up, he just threw up right in front of us. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. 
Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. All right, so it's not as glamorous as one may think, but you guys really run the risk of being covered in virtually every bodily fluid. It can be a really taxing job physically and emotionally, but also it's not a surprise that there's pressure to look a certain way. And when you're a young woman, this can also have an effect on you. Here's Ruby Rose again. So you're hired to be pretty. You're hired to be certain size, certain look, certain everything, right? And being as young as I was, I was still forming into like a, a human woman. And, you know, in the years that I was there, there was weight that fluctuated. There was, you know, your womanly features change. And if you fall too far out of a range, you sort of get a talking to about the way you look. And that's tough. And it's tough on a young girl, but it's just tough on anybody, right? Like, mm-hmm. and it's not something you generally encounter in a work situation. I understand the reasoning for it. Certain roles have to be a certain way. I think there are people that handled it great from a management perspective and people that handled it absolutely terribly. And I remember both. And I think in the years after I left that job, I had a hard time reconciling my own like bodily image and what that was worth and how that played into to other things that I did. And I feel it's been many years now and I can look back and say like, yeah, that was definitely not helpful and and see the different sides of it. But, you know, I'm, I'm better now. I still do cherish the memories. It's just that yeah. that part of it is also part of the memories. That's definitely part of that job and also age as well. Yeah. Age is another one. You would be graduated, you know, from... <laughs> From princess to Mary Poppins, Mary Poppins or evil queen or fairy godmother. Yes, I feel like fairy godmother is like the the inevitable. <laughs> yeah, that could have been us. Yeah, it could still be us. <laughs> but I don't want to misrepresent this job because it's really fun. And I still have so many fond memories of my interactions with families and kids. Also, the hugs from the kids are just the best. I got sick all the time. I think I chronically had a cold for like seven years, but it was so worth it. Let's go back to Ruby Rose. I was doing a set in the front of the park and it was around Christmas and we had like the little muffs and the scarves and everything. And this sweet little boy and his sister come up and it's, I knew I was with Cinderella or Aurora, one of those blonde girls. And his mom was like, oh, you know, Snow White, he has something he's wanting to tell you all day. I was like, oh, okay. And he was like, Snow White, I am your prince. (laughs) And I was like, oh, this is so sweet. And like, so, you know, sometimes the kids, you know, they come up and say stuff like that. And it's, it's very nice. But he was so genuine. He just gave me a big old hug. And a year goes by. And I was doing a set at Ariel's Grotto and came up to a table 
And something in the back of my brain just like clicked. And I was like, it's my prince <gasps> and his sister. And the, and I remembered how to spell the little girl's name. And I remembered his name and his whole family and the whole situation. And I was like, you know, how was your vacation? And you're from Washington. And I'd remembered all these things about, about them. His mom was like in tears. And then as I was stepping away, the mom goes, is there, we're here for three days. Can we come and see you again tomorrow? And, you know, in our training, we're not supposed to break that fourth wall, but I wanted to see this kid again. So the next day they came and it was so wonderful and magical. And his mom, like right at the end of the interaction, she's like, you have no idea what this means to us. He's not stopped talking about you for the last year. And he was just diagnosed with autism. And so you've become like part of his like world and how he like relates to all these things. Actually, I'm still in touch with her. Oh, <laughs> she's very sweet. Amazing. It's really it was a really special like couple of years that they were coming when he was young. And, and to know that you have an impact on a child's life and development, even though you're not part of their like day to day was really a special feeling. Right. They really ought to pay us more. Yeah, right. <laughs> Hey, Amanda, is there a world in which princesses can be a positive role model for kids? Wow, what a thoughtful question, Matt. Thank you. You're welcome. Unfortunately, my experience as a Disney princess hasn't equipped me to answer that question, so I called in a real expert. Are you saying you have to recuse yourself? Let's talk to Kristen Meinzer, co-host of The Royal Report from Newsweek and Disney princess fan about her thoughts on the subject. Modern Disney princess is definitely evolving to be more active in their stories, but some of the old school princesses were a little passive, specifically Sleeping Beauty, who is asleep. She's the worst. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, Sleeping Beauty, not a fan. Super not a fan of that movie or that whole lesson or story is supposed to be there. What story? Yeah. It's terrible. I mean, she, she is sleeping through the third act of her entire movie. Yes. <laughs> like she literally is asleep, doesn't lift a finger. Yeah. But it's the, not her None fault. of the story makes any sense. The music sucks. The whole movie is terrible. And what is the lesson here? Like, I think you're supposed to make sure that your invitations don't get lost in the mail <laughs> so that fairies don't accidentally get vengeful on the wrong person. Hand deliver all your mail? Is that the lesson of this movie? I didn't even know there was that much of a lesson. So you've mined more out of that than I thought was possible. <laughs> yeah. And I will say also Sleeping Beauty is like the most oppressive costume to wear because it's just really maybe they've changed it. But when I was working there, it was like so thick and this like heavy faux velvet <laughs> and the, the 90s bangs, like the feathered, really oh, high yes. crazy bangs. I remember that of all the costumes, that one seemed the most bought off the rack at a Halloween superstore. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Kristen, you're a royals expert, so you know a thing or two about the real-life princesses. Would you say that they're more akin to the old-school princesses or this new wave of princesses who are more badass? I think they're more like the old princesses. And I, I do, in fairness, want to just say Cinderella did do more than a lot of people give her credit for. She found her own way to try and get out of an oppressive situation. The fact that she kept on getting stomped back down and needed eventually a fairy godmother to help her didn't change the fact that she was actually very active in her story and trying to get out of a bad situation over and over again. And I think that gets glossed over a lot. So I really like Cinderella, honestly. And she wasn't just a doormat. 
Like she would talk back, mm-hmm. uh, even if it was just to her bird friends. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a minute. She maybe didn't have a ton. Of, I mean, she tried. You know, she she was rolling her eyes a lot. Let's just say was that. She getting those a lot stepsisters. of resistance from her bird friends that she. No, no, to talk no. Back? I'm saying she was kind of talking shit to her bird oh. friends about her stepmom. So she was at least aware of the oppression she yeah, was facing. Yeah, okay. and she had an g- amazing attitude. <laughs> yeah. So and I'm with you, Chris. I kind. think that yeah. Cinderella is. She's my top princess. Yeah. Yeah. And and she was, as a little kid, the one I just adored the most. I, I loved her so much. But how do real life British monarchy princesses compare to the Disney princesses? Most of them are not like Tangled. Most of them are not like Moana, unfortunately. Their job is to be part of the PR machine of representing what Britishness means. They are there to shed light on British values or uh, British causes, most of which have zero controversy and are probably causes on every corner of the earth, like take care of children. Um, (laughs) I I would say that the princesses who have broken the mold the most in my lifetime have definitely been Princess Di and Princess Meghan Markle, Mm -hmm. the Duchess of Sussex. Those two have been accused of, you know, being too outspoken, of rocking the boat. You know, Princess Di hugging people who were living with HIV AIDS at a time where there were actually people who believed you couldn't even be in the same room with people who had HIV or AIDS. And that was something that I think threw a lot of people off. The fact that Megan and Harry, for that matter, have acknowledged things like racism. I mean, before them, nobody in the royal family was talking about racism. Why would they? They played an instrumental role in the transatlantic slave trade. They've colonized dozens of brown countries. Of course, they don't want to talk about racism. Yeah. And actually what you just said about the princesses acting as sort of representatives to sort of forward the monarchy's values, it just occurred to me like that's literally the job I was doing at Disneyland. And, you know, it's you really were supposed to like exemplify the Disney values and the topics of conversation that I would have in my little brief encounters with the guests. It really would be like, are you going to the ball? You know, it was like very (laughs) limited what I would talk about. And a lot of it, it's all very just sort of superficial things that I would discuss as a princess. And obviously, like no one wanted to hear my political opinions. (laughs) I would have. Especially not as an 18 year old, you know. Cinderella espousing the competition between Ross Perot, George Bush, and Clinton would have been incredible. Who are you voting for, Sleeping Beauty? Who are you going to vote for in the upcoming election? But why aren't we like sort of activating the princesses to go register voters? Yeah, really. I think that the princesses historically were not usually involved in bringing down the patriarchy. I don't they think so. It. No, they benefit from the patriarchy. Let's be real. Now, Amanda may have played it a little safe in her time, but there were occasions when a sitting Disney princess wasn't afraid to get a little political with a sitting American president. Here's Deep Skirt again, about when she had a little FaceTime with the entire Obama family during the time of the infamous British petroleum oil spill. We actually had a situation where the entire Disney California Adventure Park was closed, but we had to be pre-screened. Because it's a highest security situation, they had to do a background check on each of the performers before they could meet them. So they bring back security with dogs. And the dogs actually went under our dresses. They were bomb-smelling dogs. So they were checking if we had anything on us to protect the Obamas. Luckily, we passed, all of us. There was no threat there, but... That's absolutely incredible. And now this was back right after the oil spill had happened. And I was performing as Ariel. 
And I remember when I met the girls, I mentioned something about how grateful I was for all of their help cleaning up the ocean. And I hope that they told their father that. Oh, wait, did you say you were dressed as Ariel? <laughs> what did the girls say? They just smiled and nodded. So whether you think Disney princesses are good role models or not is obviously subjective, but I know in this podcast, we're all about cold hard facts. You're goddamn right. So here are some princess stats that I think will offer us some clarity. Are you ready for this? I think so. According to a study out of Montana State University that analyzed how princesses spent their time, 29% of princesses' time was spent interacting with animals, 24% spent singing, 13% spent dancing, and after that it went cooking, cleaning, serving, primping or grooming, working, fighting, and hanging out with friends. Those first three actually sound like a pretty good life. And only two Disney princesses are ever seen wearing pants. Who? Who that? They're actually two of my favorite princesses, Jasmine and Mulan. And I still cannot believe you haven't seen Mulan. It might be the single biggest issue in our marriage. Well, I've seen half of it. I fell asleep. Will you agree right here, right now on this podcast in front of all of the listeners that you will watch Mulan? No, but would you settle for us just talking to a former Mulan character performer? Yes, and that's called compromise. We spoke on the record to Jessica Lasaka. She gave us some insight into the complexity of being a theme park POC, princess of color. I'm Jessica Lasaka, and I played Mulan and Silvermist at Disneyland from 2005 until 2009. Who's Silvermist? Silvermist was one of Tinkerbell's friends. I don't even know if she's in the park anymore, but they were basically the Spice Girls in fairy form. And I was the Posh Spice. <laughs> so, so you got cast as Mulan, but you're not Chinese, right? No, I looked Asian. So they're like, okay, you'll play the Asian character. <laughs> oh, gosh. I'm not surprised. You know, when I worked at Tokyo Disney, they would just spray paint the white girls and put them up on the float dressed as Pocahontas. That's for real? Yeah. Call it a day. Jessica, what is your actual ethnicity? I'm Filipino. So I feel like whenever for auditions and stuff, I always go in for like Latina stuff, which is funny because like I played Mulan at Disneyland. Um, but so I'm Filipino. So we have like a lot of like Spanish heritage because like Spain conquered the Philippines for 400 years. So like we have very like different look from China. So When you were cast as Mulan, was there any kind of cultural training they gave you in Chinese culture or just strictly what Mulan's mythology was? It was very uh, surface. It was There wasn't a ton of training. It was more just, here's the actual Mulan story. This is what her dress is called. These are a couple of phrases, but don't ever write like your signature with Chinese characters because the other girls might not know how to do it. There were a couple of girls who did that too. And then when they would come back to visit, they'd be like, Mulan, what does this say? And I'd be like, Peace and happiness. Like, I don't know what that says. <laughs> Would you ever encounter Chinese guests? There was one time it was like a tween. So she was very confrontational and she starts like talking to me. And I was like, I'm sorry. Like, I don't know what you're saying. And they're like, but we thought you're Chinese, Mulan. And I was like, oh, but... Like, here I only like to speak English when I'm with my friends like that's what they would that's what they would tell us to say like if someone was trying to get us to speak in like Mandarin they're like oh here I speak English like that was that was Mulan's like cop out but it turned out that the girl was speaking in Cantonese and I was like oh I speak Mandarin and she was like oh <laughs> 
take that, little tween girl. You got her good. <laughs> That's so funny. And then on the flip side of that, I'm just curious, being one of the um, princesses of color, were there ever times when little Asian girls would connect with you in a different way? I would always get so excited when like the little Asian girls would come up to me. But then half the time they didn't know who I was. I would always get parents saying like, oh, we haven't seen your movie yet. It's too violent. I'm like, okay. I do remember the the, the the look of disappointment whenever they would like turn the corner to see like the final princess and it was me. I would get so many <laughs> looks of disappointment like, oh, we well, we thought Belle was going to be here. We thought Cinderella was going to be here. I'm like, oh, sorry to get Mulan. Wow. Can you talk a little bit about that? Why you think Mulan wasn't as popular? Maybe it was because Mulan was not a white princess, but I don't, I don't, they always would say it was too violent. And she technically isn't a princess either. So I don't know if maybe that's also a point. Like Mulan is a, a warrior. She's not a princess. In fairness, since Jessica's time as Mulan, Disney has had a much more diverse roster of princesses. But this wasn't always the case. Are you ready for another princess stat attack? Hit me. According to a BuzzFeed princess census, you heard me. Only 28.6% of Disney princesses are women of color, and every single one of them are from a film after 1992. But hold on, what about the princes? Yes, the princes. I have something to say about the princes. Here's some more of my discussion with Deep Skirt. The princes? I'm sorry, they're dead white. I have to agree with you. I have to agree. It is sometimes really sweet to see them, but I feel like it's just an uh, overgrown handbag. (laughs) And sometimes they're intimidating to children. Yeah, because they're tall um, and they've got these sharp epaulets. They didn't always have the best things to say. (laughs) They were a little bit lazy. Is that fair? I think their characters are just really hard because there's no development. There's not a lot of depth. At least the princesses are the the head of their own stories. I actually hate to be in this position to play devil's advocate for the prince, but don't you think it would only be fair to have a prince rebut some of the things that you're saying? Yes, great idea. Let's hear from Epaulette, babe. <laughs> That's his code name? <laughs> you really even think for Epaulettes, it's come up twice in this episode. I think they're sexy as hell. Well, okay, let's hear from Epaulette, babe, who wishes to remain anonymous. I, for one, definitely felt like a handbag. I feel like the handbag title rings true for me, especially every single time I had to sign an autograph. I literally had to write the prince. I didn't really even have a name. So it hurts, but it's kind of true, at least in my case. Okay, well, that's enough from him. I mean... The princes can be great, and a lot of them I adored. And it's nice we gave them a chance to talk. It's cute. (laughs) I mean, let's just say there's a reason we're not doing a whole episode on the theme park princes. Yes. At the end of the day, being a theme park princess was a really cool experience. And I do think that the princesses are, are good role models. You know, the traits of being a princess that we learned and we're supposed to exhibit on set, graciousness, determination, spunk, kindness. I think those are aspirational qualities that we should be teaching to all kids, not just little girls and adults too. 
But I do think princesses should be paid way more because smiling all day is absolutely exhausting. I definitely have TMJ and smile lines because (laughs) of that job. And Deep Skirt has carpal tunnel from waving so much. But, you know, occupational hazards. Okay, let's go back to Deep Skirt one last time for some final thoughts. Overall, your experience working as a Disney princess around the globe. Thumbs up? Thumbs down? Big thumbs up. I thought it brought some of the most amazing experiences and people into my life. It totally changed me. And I loved all the moments with all the kids. I loved the shows we got to participate in. It was like a dream job. Do you ever think about getting back in the princess game? No. (laughs) No. (laughs) Well... It sounds like, to me, on the whole, you and Deep Skirt found being a theme park princess a largely positive experience. Yeah. But you guys are only one part of the big theme park ecosystem. Next episode, we'll be talking to the fuzzy characters. I have a feeling that things might not be so rosy for them. I did one day as Rafiki, and I couldn't take it. The Lion King monkey? Uh Uh-huh. I look forward to hearing about that. Join us next time. (laughs) Have a magical day. That was my princess voice. Isn't it horrible? (laughs) Go behind the scenes of Keys to the Kingdom with eight full-length bonus companion episodes featuring numerous extended and never-before-heard interviews as well as loads of hot theme park gossip. Plus, get all regular Keys to the Kingdom episodes ad-free as they release. Simply click the link in the show description. Keys to the Kingdom was created, written, produced, edited, and hosted by Amanda Lund and Matt Gorley. Executive produced by Erios, Matt Gorley, and Amanda Lund. Mixed and mastered by Brett Morris. Associate produced by Alex Paul. Sound design and artwork by Matt Gorley. Production coordination by Alex Paul and Crystal Dinsberg. Special thanks to Veronica Taylor, Tim Ruggieri, Tatiana Matias at Acast, and Martha Little, Amor Yates, and Nicholas Sotomayor at Audible. If you have a story about working at a theme park, email us at themeparkhotline at gmail.com and we might use it for a future episode or season. Keys to the Kingdom is an Erios production in conjunction with Tradecraft Media.